Fair helps Colorado Social Studies Review Committee avoid essentialism. Greg Thomas on deficit framing. And the seven skills known to help kids succeed. Welcome to Fair News Weekly. To read all of the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit this podcast's episode description. On January 21st, 2022, FAIR submitted comments to the Colorado Social Studies Review and Revisions Committee on its draft revision recommendations. Among FAIR's primary concerns with the draft revisions was the consistent reference to and grouping together of various groups of people rather than emphasizing the unique individuality of each of their members. FAIR's pro-human approach to celebrating our differences and honoring our common humanity informed our comments. Our letter pointed out that, repeatedly clumping the groups together as a collection trivializes each of them. Each of those groups is extremely large with countless cultures and subcultures and millions upon millions of unique human beings. And the individual members are exceptionally diverse and varied. To treat them as a mass collection represents them only in the crudest fashion. At the same time, the recommendations assume that each of the six groups is neatly delineated and separated, when in fact Americans increasingly belong to multiple ancestral groups, and the boundaries are blurred. We are happy to report that in a recent presentation, the Colorado Social Studies Review and Revision Committee acknowledged this criticism and responded that it will revisit the recommendations and make adjustments accordingly. The final version of the recommendations has not been released, but they are expected to be voted on in May. This week, FAIR has released its 11th video in our FAIR Story curriculum. The video discusses the complex history of immigration to the United States, revealing its shameful blemishes as well as its triumphs. Check out our videos at the FAIR Story curriculum on our YouTube channel with the link in the description. For our Substack, FAIR advisor Eric Smith wrote about a growing belief in the field of rhetoric that author authenticity, rather than effective communication, should be paramount. According to Smith, this belief has become so entrenched that many now claim that expecting foreign students to learn standard English as well as their self-expressed desire to learn it is oppressive and rooted in white supremacy. In this piece, Smith describes a question raised by a professor during a seminar directed at another professor asking for advice on how to deal with his students who were expressing a strong desire to speak and write in standard English over their home dialect. The answer was both patronizing and, according to Smith, racist. For our Substack, CEO of the Jazz Leadership Project and Senior Fellow of the Institute for Cultural Evolution, Greg Thomas, wrote about why race-based framings of social issues hurt us all. This article is partially in response to a piece by Carrie Sheffield, published last month on this Substack. Among other things, Thomas takes issue with what he calls deficit framing, which is the practice of defining people or groups solely by their problems. Thomas says, race-based framing of problems in a segment of the American population results in narratives of pathology. Unfortunately, this is the default position of many academics, activists, and reporters who discuss Americans who self-identify as black. By instead framing issues in terms of the tangible assets and skills that people have, however, we can jump off the vicious wheel of racialization that keeps us in this mess. 
Before Arrow, Fair Advisor Eric Smith wrote about the recent failed conversation about race between comedian Jon Stewart and author and Fair Advisor Andrew Sullivan after a segment on Stewart's show called The Problem with White People. According to Smith, this segment provided a large viewing audience with a masterclass on how not to talk about race. He added, This panel discussion did indeed reveal a problem with white people, the difficulties they have in conversing with each other about race. There is a lack of mutual understanding here that must be remedied before this conversation can be of much good to anyone. Ultimately, Smith says, if there is any problem with white people in discussions about race, it is that they fail to listen to all black people and fail to listen to each other. He believes that the moment well-meaning white people figure out how to do that, maybe they could help us undo the legacy of racism once and for all. For The New York Times, Fair Advisor John McWhorter wrote about his view that the political right's recent call for book bans is an overcorrection in response to the left's own penchant for censoriousness. McWhorter states, These cancellations are part of a larger project seeking to muzzle opinions antithetical to the woke quest to eternally contest power differentials and endlessly expand the definition of white supremacy. People on the right are duly appalled by this mindset, but they miss that their book bans are just as tinny, just as local to petty concerns of our moment, and just as, well, unjust. McWhorter worries that the right's book bans are nothing more than a combination of virtue signaling, panning for gratifying retweets, and ginning up wedge issues to help win elections. If this is the case, he warns that it is distracting focus from the way the left continues to shred our cultural fabric. For CNBC's Make It, educational psychologist Michelle Borba discussed seven skills known to help kids succeed and how parents can teach them effectively. Her work has led to her conclusion that thrivers are made, not born, and that children need a balance of structure and autonomy in order to flourish. Borba then covers each of the seven skills she found to be most highly correlated to optimizing kids' thriving abilities. The skills are self-confidence, empathy, self-control, integrity, curiosity, perseverance, and optimism. When taught correctly, she claims these skills increase mental toughness, social competence, self-awareness, and moral strength. For The New York Times, Alexandra Alter and Elizabeth A. Harris wrote about the book Bad and Bougie, Toward a Trap Feminist Theology by Jennifer M. Buck that was recently pulled by its publisher in response to social media backlash, claiming the book was academically flawed, contained passages that were deeply problematic, and that it was guilty of cultural appropriation. One critic, theologian Candace Marie Benbow, was apparently livid that a book touching on aspects of black culture was written by a white woman. Another critic claimed that Buck had no business writing about this because of her white skin, even though Buck had acknowledged her lack of lived experience in the book's introduction. The authors are worried about how far such restrictions might go and say that great books could be lost if authors are discouraged from writing outside their own experience. For The Atlantic, Anne Applebaum wrote about Hannah Arendt's 1950 book, The Origins of Totalitarianism and asks whether we have reason to be worried about the threat of totalitarianism arising within Western societies today. While the events and trends Arendt wrote about in her book are undoubtedly different from what's happening today, Applebaum believes there are enough similarities to be cause for concern. By destroying civic institutions, whether sports clubs or small businesses, 
She says, totalitarian regimes kept people away from one another and prevented them from sharing creative or productive projects. By blanketing the public sphere with propaganda, they made people feel afraid to speak with one another. And when each person felt himself isolated from the rest, resistance became impossible. Applebaum explains that the origins of totalitarianism contains little about how to go about fixing things. Rather, it offers proposals, experiments, different ways to think about the lure of autocracy and the seductive appeal of its proponents as we grapple with them in our own time. For reason, Katrina Gulliver reviewed the book Free Speech, A History from Socrates to Social Media by fair advisor Jakob Mashagama. The book traces the concept of free speech through the ages, revealing its central importance for debate, challenging power, and achieving liberation. While many take free speech for granted, both Gulliver and Mashagama believe it is ultimately fragile and always in need of protection from our worst human tendencies and instincts. Gulliver states, Meanwhile, the secular world has its own forms of blasphemy. As our politicians and tech gods talk about cracking down on disinformation, I get the sneaking suspicion that they don't mean Sandy Hook truthers. They mean political ideas they don't like, the stuff they call sedition in 1798. Once the government is allowed to silence speech, the net of justification always broadens. We want our Fair Substack to be the go-to publication for people interested in sharing and reading diverse perspectives on culture and civil rights. Whether you're a seasoned author or an amateur writer with a story that can contribute to our mission of promoting fairness, understanding, and humanity, we would love to receive your stories, opinions, investigations, reviews, interviews, and more. Please submit your piece to submissions at fairforall.org. We hope to hear from you. How can we provide safe and quality transgender care in the age of activism in medicine? Join Fair in Medicine for our webinar, How Activism Influences Transgender Care, a pro-human discussion, as we engage with this question and others. Moderated by Fair Advisor and Senior Fellow Xander Keg, and featuring other panelists such as the Gender Care Consumer Advocacy Network's Corinna Cohn, founder and director of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, Erin Kimberly, and psychotherapist, best-selling author, and founder of GenSpect, Stella O'Malley, as we discuss the pro-human approach to transgender healthcare, May 18th, 6 through 7.30 p.m. Eastern, over Zoom. More info in the link in the description. Announcing the Heterodox Healing Mini-Conference. Come join a day-long gathering of leading authors, journalists, and philosophers who challenge the status quo and who seek to transcend this era of deep polarization. Featuring Fair Advisor Dr. Sheena Mason, Fair Advisor and Director of Messaging and Editorial Angel Eduardo, and Friends of Fair, Janara Narenberg and Megan Dom. The mini-conference will be held at the Center SF in San Francisco on Saturday, July 16th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific. Booths are available upon request. More information at heterodoxhealing.com. Every Tuesday, the first four Tuesdays of the month, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, Fair Advisor Xander Keg will be hosting a series of free wellness webinars for Fair members. Registration in the link below. Meet Fair Diversity what it means to be pro-human. For all FAIR members and volunteers, these events are typically held on the last Monday of each month. Register today with the link in the description. FAIR Diversity's Conversations Series, open to the public. 
These events are typically held on the first Monday of each month. In this webinar series, Fair Diversity panelists discuss how to apply the fundamental principles of inclusion and civil dialogue to everyday social interactions. We use the pro-human approach to navigate challenging conversations in healthcare, education, corporate, nonprofit sectors, and more. Our upcoming webinar is What Does Compassionate Opposition Look Like? Register now with the link in the description. Finally, if you liked this podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. Make sure to check out our newsletter and weekly roundup to read more into any of this week's stories, or visit the episode description. Donations are always welcome at fairforall.org donate.